This morning, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Psalm 136. We're, we're going to continue our walk through this, this sermon series, this short uh, series called This is Compass. And actually, I think next week we're, we're going to start in the book of Titus. Is that right? Yeah, next week. So that's going to be a lot of fun. You're going to want to come back for that. But, but again, what we're doing this week is we're finishing up this, this idea, this question. Um, this is compass, and, and in that, it's like a question of, well, who is compass? What, what is compass? Like, what, what are we talking about? Because the, the reality, and if you, first of all, if you don't know me, my name is Luke. Um, I'm, I have the privilege to be on staff here, get to help out with worship. And uh, so if you're watching at home, welcome. There's still people watching at home, so praise God that you're here uh, with us. So it, as, we, as we think about, though, this idea of this is compass, I was thinking this past week that the Christian life is a life of maturity and maturation, right? It's, it's this idea that, that we as Christians are, are going to continue to move into who God says that we are. It's that, the song that we just sang, that we, are, that we are children of the king. And at times we don't feel like children of the king. And yet we are moving into a reality that has, that has been spoken over us, that has been given to us. We are new creations, new creatures in Christ. Amen. And, and we are called to continue to, to move into that and mature into that reality. Actually, Philippians 2, 12 through 13, this verse kept running through my mind this past week, says, Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now even more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act on behalf of his good purpose. So, so what Paul is saying is he's saying, hey, beloved children, keep working it out, right? Keep going. And you might say, oh, that seems weird. We're not supposed to, we're not supposed to, to put for effort. It's grace. That's why he says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act on behalf of his good purpose. So who's doing the work? God and us, right? The, the gospel is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning, right? So as we think about, well, what does it mean for us to be a people uh, coming together as Compass Church? What does it look like for us to be a people who are coming together to continue to mature? Because we don't want to leave our maturing, our, our fruitfulness, our, our fruitful life, the, the life that God has for us. We don't want to leave that up to chance, we don't want to just roll the dice and hope for the best. We, we want to be active. We want to be working it out. And so as, as we're thinking about this, we're, we're looking at the word compass as kind of an acrostic. We're, we're, we're looking at, you know, if, if we can focus on these different areas, I believe that we're going to continue to mature into the people that God says that we are. Uh, we, we've talked about uh, connect and we've talked about orienting our lives around scripture. We're going to talk about mission, practices, apprentice, story, social justice. Uh, I love that last one because every time I read it, I can feel in me like this twinge, like, Ooh, can we say that? But uh, I think every time we say that, I love how, how Craig talks about that, that not all social justice is biblical, biblical but all biblical justice is social. social. That's right. 
That's right. So what we're going to continue to talk about over the course of this year, uh, we're just looking at the COPS, C-O-P-S, over the course of this year. Uh, this is the year of the COPS, and we're, we've already talked about Connect. We've already talked about orienting our lives around Scripture. Uh, Craig talked about practices last week. If you missed, uh, go online, look at that uh, message. It was, it was just really helpful thinking about the different areas of our lives and the seasons we're in and, and how do we continue to grow in our practices. Um, and this morning, what we're going to be talking about is story. And I, I, love, I love thinking about story, and I love thinking about our story, because the reality is we are all living a story. We're all living a story. God is writing a story that we are all living in, okay? And, and sometimes I think we, we look at that, and we, we don't quite get it. We don't quite grasp it. And yet the reality is, is that our story is the best tool we have for displaying God's glory, our stories move us. I was remembering a friend of mine who, he was really, really out of shape. And self-admittedly, that's not me saying, oh, my friend was really out of shape. He was saying that. And he's like, I got to get back into shape. And it was kind of the point where he's like, this is, this is a problem for my health. And, and my friend, you know, he, he knew all the statistics, he knew, he knew, you know, what you should eat, what you shouldn't eat, which we all do. I mean, it's right on the McDonald's menu, right? That, that calorie, the, it's there, but those McDonald's french fries doesn't, you know, calorie count. Yeah, it's, it's not good, but they're good, right? They're, they're good. Um, and we, we all know that. And yet for him, it took him creating this story, imagining him walking his daughter down the aisle for her wedding to kind of propel him into this idea of, okay, I, I, need, to, I need to get healthy. See, we know, the, the more we learn about the brain, we know, we, we used to think that our brains, we made decisions based on logic. We used to think that. Well, if you just give me the right, yeah, if you just give me the right information, then I'm gonna make the right decision. We know now that's not actually true. Our brains, we make decisions largely based on emotion, and then our logic kicks in, kicks in to try and justify the decision we just made. That's a lot of, that's how our brain works. Now, that's not everybody. There's some people in here probably more logical than others, but that's, that's largely how our brain works. Uh, we, we buy things largely because of the story that's created around that thing we're buying. How many of you are old enough to remember the commercials where it's the, the uh, uh, Mac and PC? Do you guys remember those commercials? Yeah. The Mac, uh, the, the PC guy was this guy, you know, he's kind of, you know, he kind of stood like this and he had glasses and, you know, the pocket protector and, you know, it's a, oh, I just, you know, I remember one, one commercial where like he got knocked off the shelf or something because somebody tripped over his power cord. He's like, oh, I'm broken. Uh. And the, the PC guy or the Mac guy was like, hey, how's it going? You know, and he was like this cool, like, oh, man, you know, we all want to be him. I don't want to be the PC guy. And so as we're, you know, again, not everybody, but when we're buying our computer, what are we thinking? Do I want to be this guy? <laughs> or do I want to be this guy? Hey, how's it going? Right? It's like, I want to be that guy, so I'm going, to buy a, I'm going to buy a Mac. See, we create these stories, and the stories actually drive us. They're, they are the, they're the best tools we have for action. And in fact, I believe as we look at Psalm 136, our story 
is the best tool we have to display God's glory. And even as I say that, there's probably a lot of things that come up in you. And I was, I was thinking about uh, just whether or not I should use this illustration, but I figured, why not? Um, this, this is actually a carpenter's box that my grandpa gave me. Um, last time I talked, I talked about a plumb line. You guys are think I'm going to think I'm really handy. I'm not. Okay, so I would love to help you, but I don't, don't ask me to do really technical things. But when, when I graduated from Bible college, um, we moved back to Missouri. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, the next logical step is carpentry, right? Um, at least that's what happened. And so my, my uncle, he was gracious enough to, to give me a job. He was actually building my sister's house. So I think he figured, well, it's all on my sister if she he wants to hire me for her crew. Um, and my grandpa, when I started working with my uncle, he took me aside. And my grandpa was one of these guys that he, I mean, growing up in Brashear, Missouri, if you've ever been through Brashear, it's, it's interesting. Okay, that's all I'll say. Uh, but my grandpa was, they lived in this little shack, uh, raised eight kids in this little shack. But behind the shack, he had two, uh, like, uh, uh, house trailers, or mobile, mobile homes, like these, these two trailers. And they were just full of stuff. And then he had a shed behind that full of stuff. My, my grandpa, I mean, very poor uh, but he was a carpenter forever, and he was a guy, when he would go to tool sales, uh, sales like auctions, why can't I say that word, but go to auctions, um, he would buy just, if, if it was a good deal, it didn't matter what it was, he would buy 15 of them. When he, when he died, uh, there were cases and cases of like screwdrivers and drill bits and, and saw blades just left still in the case, but it was a good deal, so he bought all of them. And, and he, he brought me into his shop when I started working for my uncle, and he said, all right, Luke, this, let, we're going to set you up. This is what you need. And he gave me this box, and it's, it's, I, I love this box, but he, he started filling it, and he said, all right, first you, you need a chalk line. Right? If you're gonna if you're gonna build houses, you gotta have a chalk line. Uh, some of you are like, yeah, you gotta have that, right? Uh, he gave he gave me a level. I don't know if this is actually level anymore. Like it's probably not, but uh, he gave it to me. You know, like I he he gave me this like cord. He's like, everybody has to, yeah. So he's like, yep, you got to have that. I was like, why do I need cord? You know, it's wrapped around the stick. He's like, just trust me, put it in your box. So, okay, you know better than me. So he gave me this cord, and then he, he said, all right, Luke, this is going to be the most important tool in your toolbox. And he gave me this. You guys know what this is? Speed square, right. He gave, me this, he gave me this speed square. One person in the first service said, it's a triangle. Yes, it is a triangle. But... <laughs> He gave me this speed square, and he's like, this is going to be the most important tool in your toolbox. And he actually gave me one that was like three times this big, too, with different attachments. And I was like, how am I, what am I going to do with this? But as I continued to, to learn and as I continued to work with my uncle, I, I began to realize that this thing really did save my life. Not literally, but like every time I'd go out to make a cut and I'd have this speed square in my back pocket and go out and, you know, mark it off and, you know, get in the right angles and all this stuff. And it took me quite a while to figure out how do I actually use this thing. But it, it did turn out to be the most important tool in my toolbox. And as I was thinking about this morning, and how do, we, how do we understand story? I kept thinking, you know, story is the most important tool we have if we are going to display God's glory. Which I believe is what we are called to do as children of God. We are to display, and when I say God's glory, what I'm saying is like his, his weight, his fame, the, the biblical idea of, of glory, it's like his, his name. Like I, I come and, you know, I, I 
was, is it Monty Python, where it's like, we come in the name of the king. Like if we, you know, if you come in someone else's name, you have their authority. You are proclaiming their authority in a situation. And, and our story is the greatest tool we have for displaying the glory of God. And yet what we're going to talk about this morning is, okay, so if that's the case, right, if this is the greatest tool, well, how do I think about this thing? How do I utilize that? Maybe there's, there's questions you have where it comes to your story. Maybe, maybe you're like, hey, Luke, I don't have a great story. There's people that have crazy stories. That's not me. So how do we think about this story that we have? Because we each have one. And I, I want to encourage you, we're going we're gonna to read Psalm 136, because what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at the psalm as kind of a, a, a principle, and then we're going to turn to John chapter 9 as a case study. Okay, so Psalm 136, if you would stand with us, I actually have it up on the screen, and what I'm going to invite you to do is there are italicized lines, and those lines we're going to stay together. Okay, so do you, you see that up there? All right, I hear mumbling, so I'm going to take that as a Yes. All right, let's read this. Psalm 136. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights, for his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day, for his steadfast love endures forever. The moon and stars to rule over the night, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, for his steadfast love endures forever. And brought Israel out from among them, for his steadfast love endures forever. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two, for his steadfast love endures forever. And made Israel pass through the midst of it, for his steadfast love endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down great kings, for his steadfast love endures forever. And killed mighty kings, for his steadfast love endures forever. Sion, king of the Amorites, for his steadfast love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, for his steadfast love endures forever. And gave their land as a heritage, for his steadfast love endures forever. A heritage to Israel, his servant, for his steadfast love endures forever. It is he who remembered us in our low estate, for his steadfast love endures forever. And rescued us from our foes, for his steadfast love endures forever. He who gives food to all flesh, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven, for his steadfast love endures forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your goodness, for your mercy. Thank you, God, that your steadfast love endures forever. And God, I pray that you would give me the words that you want me to say, Holy Spirit, um, empower them. And God, I pray that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to understand. And it's in your name. Amen. Amen. You, you might have noticed that there's a repeating phrase in that, in that psalm, right? 
How many of you, as you're reading, it's like, wow, how many times is this going to, how many times are we going to say this? Uh, you know, I, there, there was a point I, in the first service too. It's like, as I'm reading, it's like, wow, these people are going to get, you know, <laughs> like we're, we're going to get bored of this. But, but I, as we, as we read the Psalm, I, what the psalmist is doing is he is taking the story of the Israelites. He's helping, the, he's saying, hey, remember your story. But as he's, as he's taking their story, it's being framed by this repeated phrase that says, your steadfast love endures forever. See, what the psalmist, I believe, is, is saying is he's saying, look, your story proclaims God's glory. So again, the question that, that we're working off of this morning, that we're, that we're asking ourselves is, what if your story, what if my story is, is the best tool, is the best tool to display God's glory? What, what if that's the case? And as we look at this psalm, what the psalmist is inviting us into is kind of a reframing of our stories. The first thing that we see as, as, he's, as he's talking about the story of the Israelites is he starts by giving thanks to the Lord. He, he sets us up and he says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And give thanks to the Lord, the, the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. He's, he's establishing the position of God as they're going to go into their story. And, and that's, that's kind of the way we're meant to read it because then as, as uh, he talks about like, again, verse 4, to him who alone does great wonders. And, and, and again, we're supposed to think about those first three verses. Give thanks to the Lord. He is good. Give thanks to the God of God, Lord of lords. To him who alone does great wonders. Who? The Lord of lords, the God of gods. To him who by understanding made the who? The Lord of lords, the God of gods. So, so we're thinking about our stories, first of all, in this, in this lens of thankfulness. But then he goes on to talk about the, the first kind of move is to, to look at our story in the lens of creator God. Those, those first few verses, verses 4 through 9, it is creation language that the psalmist is calling on, that, that he's drawing on. Do you see that? I mean, verse 4, to him who alone does great wonders. Verse 5, to him who by understanding made the heavens, spread out the earth above the... the he's going back to creation, to, to Genesis, where in the very beginning of Genesis, we see chaos. See the, the waters, which represents chaos, and we see the breath, the spirit, the presence of God hovering over the chaotic waters. And out of chaos, God brings creation. We see in the very beginning, and what the psalmist is inviting us into is to begin to reframe our story with this lens of saying, okay, what does my story look like if I believe, first and foremost, that God is creator God? That God is hovering over the chaos of my life. He's not absent. He, he's, not, he's not somewhere we, where we don't understand. He's not, he's not somewhere where we, we can't find him. He is hovering over the chaos of my life, and he is active in the midst of it. What if, what if we saw our lives in that way? That's what the psalmist is inviting us into in the very, very beginning, is that God is creator God. And as we think about our story displaying God's glory, the first thing we need to understand is that's, that's the lens. He's not absent. He's present. He sees. He is, he is the God who sees. He is the God who is active. 
So not only do we see him as creator God, are we invited into seeing God as creator God in the midst of our story? But then he goes on, the kind of the second move, starting in verse 10, to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, he moves into this. Not only can we reframe our story and see, first of all, that God is creator God, but we can reframe our story and begin to see that God is, is saving God. He is the savior in my story. I, as, I, as I read that, that verse, uh, verse 10, to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt for his steadfast love endures forever, there's a part of me that's like, oh man, the Old Testament is so violent. Why is that okay? Why is it okay that God struck down the firstborn of Egypt? Why is it okay that the God we worship kills uh, infants? Why is that okay? And, and he goes on to talk about in verse 17, to him who struck down great kings and killed mighty kings. Why is that okay? Why is the Old Testament so violent? And yet what we're invited into is to remember the story of the Israelites. Because what he's talking about, as, as he talks about dividing the Red Sea with a strong hand and outstretched arm, there's, there's all of this language that goes back to Exodus. And, and let me ask you, how long were the Israelites in bondage in Egypt? How long? 400 years, 400 years. Every time I hear that number, I don't have a context to put 400 years in. Like, it doesn't make sense to me, right? It might as well be, I don't know, 5,000 years. I, I, I don't know. It's like, I don't, I don't understand that context. And every time I think about the, the, the 400 years, I think about, I, it's like I have to figure out something to, to connect it to. I always think about how long America has been a nation. How long has America been a nation? Huh? Almost 300? Two, uh, somebody in the first service said like 250. I was going to look it up, and I for, totally forgot. What did they say in the first service, Craig? 267? 240-something? Two, 200 and change. Let's just say that. Between 200 and 300 years, America has been a nation. It's crazy because when, when we've gone overseas, people know that we're Americans just by the way we walk, by the way we carry ourselves. And it's because we are formed by this, by this culture that we're in. And I'm not, I'm not saying that's bad. It's just, it just is. You see, these people have been slaves for 400 years. That's a hundred and some change longer than we've been a nation. Think about what, what shaped them. Think about how their mindsets work. Think about when, when, we say, when we say we're Americans, there are certain things that come along with that. When the Israelites said we are Israelites, there are certain things that came with that as well. Right? I'm an Israelite. That means I'm a slave. I'm an Israelite. That means I am less than. I'm an Israelite. That means I'm not really a person. I'm an Israelite. That means I'm an object. I'm an Israelite so on and so forth. Think about the fact that they were meant to be children of God, the one true God. And yet they're in Egypt with this pantheon of gods, all these different gods, and yet they're enslaved to their gods. Now, what needs to happen? What needs to happen if the, if the Israelites are going to have a, like true freedom? If they're going to have freedom, not only physical freedom, but emotional, uh, mental, cultural freedom, what's going to have to happen? A lot, yes, a lot. And what's going to have to happen is the, the one true God is going to have to come in and pick a fight. 
right? He's going to have to, and that's what we see in Exodus. The one true God comes in and starts like setting up all their gods, the gods of Egypt, and just boom, boom, who's next? Wow, that was loud. I was like, who's next, right? When Craig was preaching in, in the sermon series, uh, um, what's in the Bible? Man, I, my brain. Uh, th- that sermon, huh? What is the Bible? Thank you, Amy. What is the Bible? He talked about how uh, Moses went out and he took his staff and he stabbed the Nile. And the, the language there is meant to represent that he killed the Nile. The, the Nile, which was seen as a god. And, and, I mean, he blotted out the sun, which was a god. He, uh, frogs were everywhere, which was a god. He killed the livestock, which was a god. You know, there's all of these different things. Over and over and over, he's like, all right, bring it on. Who's next? Who's next? And in, in, in verse, verse 10, when we read, to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, what the psalmist is saying, he's, he's bringing them back to the reality that the God that we serve is the God of gods. And the Lord of Lords, because the firstborn of Pharaoh, Pharaoh was seen as a God. And so what the psalmist is saying is that there is nothing that comes against our God that cannot be overcome. And so as we think about our story, not, all, not only as we think about how does my story display God's glory, it displays God's glory when I understand that he is creator God, but it displays God's glory when I understand that he is savior that he saves his people in the midst of trials, in the midst of uh, incredible challenges. He is Savior God. And then the, the, the last kind of move we see, starting in verse, I believe, 16, says, to him who led his people through the wilderness, to him who struck down great kings and, and, and killed mighty kings. And then it starts to talk about this King Sion and Og in, in this region of Bashan. The... <laughs> Really what he's doing is he's saying, okay, we're, we're to see our story as, as God is creator, God is savior, and God is sustainer. That yes, he is active, he is hovering over our chaos and working in the midst of it, that he is saving us out of impossible situations, but he is sustaining us in the midst of, of, of craziness. If you, if you think about the story where the psalmist is talking about here, the, the Israelites had been brought out of Egypt. They, they were saved. I mean, they were saved people, no longer slaves. Uh, I love Exodus 14, 14, where, where uh, Moses is standing at the edge of the Red Sea, and he says, the, the salvation will come to you today. The, this enemy you see today, you will never see again. They walk through on dry land. The Egyptians come. The sea comes over them, they all die. The, the promises of God are fulfilled. They are set free. That is their position. And yet as they're going towards this promise that they, that they are going through, this promised land that God keeps telling them about, they come to this region, this region of, uh, uh, this region of Bashan uh, is, is just east of the Jordan River. So they're like right on the verge They've been wandering around for so long, they're, they're like, they can, they can see it. They can almost taste the milk and honey. And yet they, uh, Moses sends this letter out to this king who was an incredibly mighty king who had destroyed nations. And he says, hey, let us just pass through peacefully. We don't want anything from you. We won't mess with you. He says, we won't even take a drink out of any of your wells. Just let us go through. The king says, you know what? I'm not going to let you go through. And in fact, I'm going to destroy you. How about that? So the king, these kings come together and they come together and, and God says, hey, don't worry about it. I got you. 
Yes, you've been saved. You're coming through. You haven't yet received. And yet in the midst of the chaos, I am still working in your life. I am still, I'm still the sustainer of your story. And they came through and they received the land as an inheritance. See, I, I believe that the, what, we're, what we're supposed to see in this as we think about, okay, how does my story display God's glory? The psalmist is inviting us into saying, okay, well, what would it look like if you began to look at your story in these kind of three frameworks? That the lens in which we look is that God is creator God. He is overall, he's, he's above all, he is in control. And God is, is Savior God. He has saved me. This is who I was, and this is who I am now. I am Savior, and yet, yet in my story right now, yet I'm not a sinner anymore, but I don't understand this. I don't know why this is happening to me. I don't know where we're going from here. And yet God says, you know, in the midst of that, I'm still good, and I'm, I'm still God. I got you. See, this is, this is kind of the principle as we think about uh, how, do I, how do I use my story to display God's glory? This is the principle that we're invited into. Well, what does this look like? As, uh, if you would, turn with me to John chapter 9, and it's, it's actually page, it's not up on the screen, it's page uh, 113, I have it written down somewhere, uh, I, don't, I don't remember, 13, uh, 1631 in those, in those uh, green pew Bibles, so if you, if you want to turn there with me. John chapter 9, we're, we're going to kind of fly through this quickly, okay? This is one of my favorite stories in Scripture, John chapter 9, because what we see in John chapter 9, as, as you kind of look, and I would encourage you, go back through this week, maybe in your connection group. Did you catch that? If you're not in a connection group get in a connection group, maybe in your connection group, kind of look through this story, think about how, all right, how do these principles play out in this case study. But what we see first and foremost is this man that's born blind in John chapter 9. This man born blind, and we don't know how old he is. We know that he's old enough because we read later on in the story that his parents are asked about him. It's like, he's an adult. He can speak for himself. Ask him. So we know that he's an adult. We know that he's been blind since birth. We know that he's a beggar. And as Jesus and his disciples are walking along the road, they, it says uh, in verse 1, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And, and Jesus seeing spurred on this conversation of his disciples. And his disciples are like, hey, Jesus, who sinned, this guy or his parents, that he was born this way? I, every time I read this, I'm amazed at, like, the, the audacity of the disciples because I, you know, I, if you've ever experienced somebody who's talking about your situation, usually they don't do it quietly, do they? It's like, man, he's blind, not deaf, right? But, but they're like, hey, here's a case study. Who sinned? Because what they're doing in the midst, of, as, as we're looking at, I, I believe that first and foremost what we see here is that Jesus is, is presenting himself as creator, I mean, we see later on he creates mud and he puts it on this guy's eyes. But as he goes into the story, the, the disciples want to know the why. Right? They want to know, why, why is this happening? Why are things in the world? And we all, I believe that even as I'm talking about story, maybe in you, that's come up in you. You're talking about my story. You're talking about me displaying God's glory with my story. You don't know my story. You don't know what I've experienced. See, the disciples wanted to know why, because if they knew a why, then they could kind of compartmentalize this and say, well, that's why bad things happen. 
Well, that's, you know, I, I don't have to worry about that because I'm not a sinner. That, that guy's obviously a sinner or his parents or whatever. You know, they, they want to know the why. I was talking to my wife, um, who's incredibly wise, and I was talking to her the other day about the difference between asking this question of why and asking the question of meaning. And you see, why, which we all ask, it's this question that, that we try and answer because we want to know, well, what got us here? But it's this, it's, this, it's this question that we're engaging or we're trying to engage our intellect. We're trying to engage our logic, but we're trying to do it as we, as we navigate emotional waters. And, and logic and emotion oftentimes don't mix. And what, we're, what, we're, what we wind up with is just an unsatisfied answer, even if we have one. I was, I was talking to Craig uh, last night. We were talking about pets we used to have. And, and I, I, was, I was reminded of the, one of my favorite dogs. And we grew up, I grew up on a farm. So dogs have had a really short life span around my house. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's sad, but it's true. And, and I remember one dog we had, my dad actually brought it home from a job, and it was this little rat terrier, and uh, just this little thing, like white with black spots, and I called him killer, because every time, like super little, every time I'd walk, he'd rip up my socks. Like he'd just, just go after my ankles, and I thought it was awesome. And, and I, I remember one time I was at my grandma's house, we lived not far from my grandma. And I was walking inside, everybody was going in for supper, and I looked across the highway, and there my dog Killer was running across the street, and I looked, and there was a big, big old pickup truck. Yeah, everybody's like, oh, you know where this story's going, right? The pickup truck came. I ran inside, I was like, Ugh, Killer just got ran over by a truck. Everybody stopped eating, we all ran outside. I mean, there's nothing we could do. And I remember, I was, I was probably 10, maybe 11 years old. And I, I remember just like asking that question, why did this happen? Why did this have to happen? You know, I'm trying to make sense of my situation. I'm trying to make sense of this, this tragedy that I just experienced. I just watched this happen. And, and, you know, we all ask this question, what if my dad, what if my dad would have took me aside and said, well, Luke, you know, you're asking why this happened? Well, it's because killer's only like five pounds. And he had little bitty legs. And, you know, when he's trying to run across the street, it didn't work very well. And this truck was about what, I don't know how, how heavy a truck is. Was it like a ton? This truck's like a ton. It was going 45, 50 miles an hour. We lived in the country. There's no speed limits. Right? And, and when a truck that big hits a dog that small, it just, that's what happens. You know, and, and if I would have been like, oh, thank you, Father. Thank you for your wisdom. Everything is good now. See, we laugh about that, but I, but I think it illustrates a, a deeper hurt that most of us probably carry around. We come into these situations, we have these experiences, and the reality is we, we want the why because we think it's going to help. We think that if I can just figure out the, the best logic, the reason, then I'm, then I'm going to be able to move forward. See, the why never moves us forward. Meaning does. That's what Jesus was looking at. When he comes to this man, the disciples want to know the why. Jesus brings meaning into it, though. He says, it, it wasn't sin. It wasn't sin that, that, that led them to this place. He said, this is one of my favorite verses in this story. It says, verse 3, Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. See, Jesus invites this man into a bigger story. 
that there is, that there is meaning in his blindness. That, that yes, the why, we, we ask that. And, and that's understandable because life is hard. Uh, I just heard a quote that the problem of sin is a problem. That the world is, is full of things that we cannot understand. And yet when Jesus comes in, we see that he is the God who sees. That he is the God who is hovering over the chaos and who is active in the midst of it. And as he comes into this guy's story, this blind man's story, he brings purpose and meaning. Not a why, but a meaning. And that's what we are in, invited into as we live out our story, as we wonder, as we're thinking, okay, how does my story display God's glory? Because I've experienced a lot of stuff, and there's a why that I can't figure out. You see, the reality is, even if you got a why, it wouldn't satisfy. And yet, as Jesus comes into the story, he gives something more. And that's what we're invited into. As, as Jesus, he sees this man, and it says that he spits on the ground, he makes some mud, which is crazy, right? It's crazy. Spits on the ground, makes some mud, smears it on the guy's face, right? They definitely didn't have COVID back then, right? That would not be okay. Smears it on the guy's face, says, go to the pool of Sion. It's the, uh, the pool called uh, Scent. Go to the pool, wash, come back. He goes, he washes. I mean, can you imagine the story that this guy has? I, he doesn't know that Jesus just spit on the ground and put mud on his face. He doesn't know that. He just feels it. So he goes to the pool. He's washing off. And as he's washing it off, light begins to come through. There's a, there's a lightning. And, and he begins to, he, his eyes begin to work and adjust. And he starts to see things that he's never seen before. And he comes back. And I'm sure that he's excited. Right? And, and if, you, if you look in, in verse 8, the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. I, I love it because it says he kept saying. Like they're having a debate. His neighbors, the people around him are like, uh, I don't know. I mean, you kind of look like him. You kind of, it's like, yeah, I know I look like him. I am him. I don't know what I look like, actually. I've never seen. But I am the man that you're talking about. Like, no, you know, that guy was blind. Yes, I know. And so then they're like, well, how, how, how does this work? How are you seeing? Like, what, what happened? In verse 11, he answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and re received my sight. See, the, this man, he comes into this story and he experiences the God who is creator God, who is above all, who is working in all, and he experiences the God not only who is working, but the God who is saving and rescuing him out of his, out of his bondage, out of his darkness, out of, out of his slavery. He rescues him, and I love it because in the midst of that, this guy is like, I don't know how this worked, but this is what happened. He says, he, he put mud on me, I went and washed, I come back, and I see. And he doesn't, even, even, you know, as they're trying to figure out who Jesus is, do you see who he says Jesus is in this verse? What's he say? The man, Jesus. He doesn't know who Jesus is. He doesn't, he doesn't have a theology of the Trinity. He doesn't have a theology of, of God incarnate. He doesn't have any of that. He's just like, I don't know, the guy Jesus 
came and, and put mud on me. And I watched, and as he, as he's then, I mean, this creates a lot of anxiety because this is actually a fulfillment of prophecy in Isaiah where the, the Messiah would come as God's setting things right. The, the uh, people who are blind would receive their sight. So it's, it's creating a lot of anxiety. But in the midst of the anxiety that was happening around him, do you see what this guy does? He, he doesn't try and speak to the things that he doesn't know. He just speaks to the things he does. He's a witness. As Jesus calls us in Acts 1a, you will be my witnesses. He's, he's not an apologist. He just goes, and in fact, when he comes before the, uh, the religious rulers and they're asking him all these questions, they're grilling him. He, he says, it's like an abbreviated um, experience. Verse 15, so the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes, I wash, and I see. Like he abbreviated, he's like, I don't know, but this is what I do know. I love it because I think there are times where we think about, well, what does it look like to display God's glory with my story? We're hesitant because the, the, the question is, well, what if I get into things that I can't answer? What if people start asking me about stuff that I don't know the answer to? See, this guy throughout, he is quick to talk about what he does know, but he's just as quick to talk about what he doesn't. You see that? You see that? To me, that gives me freedom. That gives me hope because I don't have to know all the answers. I don't have to know. The only thing that I get to do that I'm called to do is be a witness to what I've experienced. That God is not only creator God, but he is savior God who has saved me from my bondage. And then we go on. I mean, throughout the story, the, the anxiety that's happening around him, this guy doesn't change his story. He, he doesn't give in to the anxiety that his story causes around him. Even when he gets kicked out of the synagogue, even when they're like, you know what, you're just a sinner, get out of here. And that was a big deal. That was a big deal. He gets kicked out of his community. He gets kicked out of uh, his experience of God. He gets kicked out of all of this stuff. And he gets kicked out. And in verse 35, says, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? He answered, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. See, not only as we think about how does our story display God's glory, not only are we invited to see it in the context of creator God, not only are we invited to see it in the context of God as savior God, but we're invited to see it in the context of God as sustainer. This guy is in a place where, yes, he can see, but now he's cast out. Yes, he can see, but now his future is kind of unclear. It's uncertain. We don't know what's going to happen to him. He's ostracized from his community. You know, at least when he was blind, at least he knew what his place was. But now he doesn't even know that. And yet Jesus comes into that place and says, I'm still with you. And I love it because if you look at the progression of this man's experience, Jesus comes in when this man still doesn't understand. He, he goes from, you know, the man Jesus in verse, uh, verse 17, he says he is a prophet. And he's just trying to be faithful with what he's experienced. He doesn't know who Jesus is. He's just trying to be faithful with what he experienced. And yet when Jesus comes in as sustainer God, he reveals himself as Lord. He continues to take this man deeper and deeper. See, as, as we think about what does it mean for me to be a maturing Christian, I think what we're invited into is our own story 
seeing it in light of who God is, God's glory. The, the God who is creator, the God who is savior, the God who is sustainer. And I, and I think there are a couple, a couple things that I would encourage us to do as we think about what does this mean for me? What, what does this mean for me? How do I respond to this? Maybe for you, you're sitting there thinking, yeah, but Luke, again, I don't have a story. Like there are people who, you know, they've been drug addicts and they're, you know, they've this and they can write a book and all this stuff. I grew up in this church. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're like, yeah, I didn't grow up in this church, but I was like born with a Bible. Like I, I'm like, I, that's me. I don't really have a story. I, my question for you is, what would it mean for you to look at your story, to be re- reacquainted, even if that is your story, to think, okay, how is God, how is God creator God in my story? Even if that is my story, that I grew up in this church, that I went to a kid's program, I was one of the originals in that, you know. Like, how is God shown to be creator God in your story, savior God in your story, sustainer God in your story? What does that, what does that look like? Do, do you come and worship of him because he, he gave you the family he gave you, the experiences that he gave, all of those different things? Maybe, maybe for you, as I think about what does it mean to be kind of reacquainted with your story, with your own story, maybe for you, again, you're sitting there thinking, yeah, that's too hard. You don't know my story. You don't know what I've been through. You don't, you don't know the loss. You don't know my experiences. Maybe, maybe that's you this morning. As I was thinking about this passage over, over the past few weeks and thinking about story, it's, it's crazy. I was talking to my wife last night. Like, I feel like God is inviting me to be reacquainted with my own story. My, you know, you guys know that my, my daughter had a lot of health issues and, and different things growing up. And my wife actually put together a book when we were going through all that. And um, I think it was maybe a year ago, I started like looking at that book. I'm like, I, I should read this. I've never read this before. Um, and, and I kind of opened it up. I got through the first chapter. So, shut that. Nope. I can't do it. I can't go back into those places and feel those things again. I cannot experience the loss that we felt. I can't experience the uncertainty. I can't experience the the hurt and the pain. I can't experience that again. And maybe this morning what God is inviting you into is he's saying, yeah, but what if you allowed me to reframe your story? I think what he's inviting me into is, Luke, what if you allow me to reframe your story? What if, what, if you, what if you revisited your story and you could see me as creator God, as, as savior God, as sustainer God? What, what if? Maybe that's you this morning. See, I, I believe that as we think about story, we are called to be reacquainted with our own story, but not only that, we're called to share our story. We're called to share it. We're called to share it because when we, when, we, when we allow our story to display God's glory, not only, not only is God's glory seen in those around us, did they see our story and did they see God's glory, his weight, his fame, all those different things, but that glory becomes, uh, becomes more weighty in us. How many times have, maybe you've experienced something and you're like, oh, I gotta, I gotta tell, like we, this just popped into my head. We, we did a, a mud run, a tough mudder, like years and years ago. Anybody done one of those? Super fun. Nobody. Okay, we should, maybe a church event. That would be awesome. Like this mud run, it was like 12 miles and ran through all this mud. And at one point you had to pick up your partner and carry him on their shoulder. And it, it was crazy. And as we were, as we were experiencing it, it was cool. 
But as we went back and as we were telling about the experience, it's like, no, that was really cool. Like, that was really fun. Actually, I want to do that again. Have you ever experienced that? Maybe it's a movie. Maybe it's a story that you heard. Maybe it's all these different things. But in the retelling, it gets deeper and sinks further into our own lives, and the weight of it becomes more palpable. See, that's, I, I believe that's what happens when the psalmist is, is going through the story and says, for his steadfast love endures forever. It's over and over and over again. We're called to experience God over and over and again. And, and again, maybe, maybe you're saying, I don't think I could do that because what if, what if people start asking questions? Well, then you, you answer the questions to what you know. I, I believe it's a lost art in our culture today to give a good, I don't know. That's a lost art. Because if you don't know, well, why don't you know? Are you on the other side than me? Hmm? You know, we, we, have, we feel like, oh, I gotta, I gotta give a defense. And, and, and we're, we are called to do that. I'm not saying that. But, but what this guy shows us in John 9 is he says, you know, what I do know is this. What I don't know is this. And this is where I'm at. And you might be saying, well, what if I lose an argument? Well, I, that might be okay. I don't know if we're supposed to be arguing. What if you're just secure in what God has done in your life? What, what if you're just secure in the fact that God is creator? that God is Savior, and God is Sustainer. And, and you know what? I don't know a lot of things, but I do know that. What if that was you? What could God do? How, who could experience his glory if you allowed your story to be reframed in that way? That's, that's my prayer for us, Compass Church. That's my prayer for us, is that we would be a people whose stories are displaying God's glory. And I don't know where you're at this morning, and maybe, maybe for you, you haven't met the Savior Jesus yet. Maybe that's where you're at. Maybe, maybe you're still in that bondage. Maybe you're still walking in darkness. Maybe that's you. Jesus wants to meet you this morning. God wants to do something amazing with your story if we only let him. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We praise you for your goodness. We praise you that we are a people who have been saved. We praise you that we serve you, God, who, who you are a God who, who is creator. You, you are working. You are, you, you are a God who sees. That you are hovering over the chaos of our life, and you are working in it. You do not leave us alone. And God, for those of us who have grown up in the church, I praise you for that. And I pray, God, that you would help us to look at our stories in light of, of you as creator and, and savior and sustainer. And, and maybe those of us who have experienced just really hard things in our lives, God. I pray that you would help us to feel just the grace, the grace that comes with that. God, the meaning that you offer, that you provide. God, help us to see you. Help us to see you as, as creator, God, as savior, as sustainer. I've been saved for a long time and yet still going through hard things and you're still active in that. Let us be people who put your glory on display, God. And it's in your name, amen. This podcast is part of the ministry of Compass Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, please check out compasscfc.com.